Ephesians chapter 6, and we'll begin at verse number 10. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse number 10. Now, this is part of a, of a bigger study that we've been engaged in uh, here at Heritage. And if you're new to this, all of these messages are archived. You can uh, subscribe to the podcast and listen to them on your smartphone or uh, your computer, or you can watch the, the videos. Uh, I'm, I'm sometimes hesitant to mention a bigger study in case someone's tuning in with us online or maybe a guest with us this morning and, and you think, well, man, that just kind of leaves me out. I've, I'm jumping in this thing in the middle. Well, there's plenty here for all of us to take away from this. But I mentioned that it's part of a, of a, of a bigger study because what we are, are really looking at um, in, intensely is a passage we find, stay in Ephesians 6, is a passage we find in Romans 8 where the question is asked, what shall we say to these things? Um, I have a dear friend who is fighting for his, his life, and, and, and Jesus has already won that battle, so, so we're believing that he is whole and well and, and, and strong, but had an opportunity to, to uh, message with his wife uh, this morning and, and just explaining to her the importance of, of, what, of what we say when things uh, you, you know happen in our lives when we're facing challenges and difficulties, that something has to be said. And um, so sent her uh, several verses to, to say, the word of God is the sword of the spirit. Amen. Are, you, are we with me this morning? And we swing that sword by speaking. And so if you want to engage the enemy with, um, with the word of God, you have to speak. In other words, if the sword of the spirit is words, then how do you swing that sword? You swing that sword by speaking those words. Amen. But what shall we say to these things? And so the course of our study has led us here to where we find the Bible revealing to us um, the full armor of God. And so it begins in verse number 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against the spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand, stand therefore having your waist girded with, the, um, with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, take in the shield of faith with which you'll be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Of God. Now, I mentioned at the beginning of the uh, of the message this morning, even the beginning of the service, that uh, Sister Pam and I were at a uh, ministers' conference last week, and of the fifteen sessions that we were in, um, at least, and I I was going to go back and look through my notes. Pam takes better notes than me, so it'd probably be better to look through her notes. Um, but I left, them at, I left my notes at the house from the conference this morning. But I'm going to be conservative when I say at least half of those 15 sessions, um, the speaker either began with Ephesians 6 and 10 or mentioned it somewhere in their sermon. It had gotten to the point to where, um, because in some cases the person that was going to be ministering next was in the room 
And so they would kind of almost, you know, I've been there before, and it's like, look, I know that the last guy just talked about this, but I really feel like this is what the Lord put on my heart to say this year. And so I'm going to ask you again to turn back to, and, you know, that happened uh, multiple times. And I just say that to to um, offer to you the confirmation of something that I felt like the Holy Spirit said to us last week, and that is these verses um, are the verses that he has us as a family of faith focused on right now. It sounds to me like there are many others in the body of Christ that the Holy Spirit has led, uh, led them and led us to, to these verses um, for us to focus on them um, right now. Amen. So this is a now word. This, this is a, an urgent word, amen, that the Holy Spirit is breathing on um, in uh, the body of Christ. Now, let's just very quickly review because I want to get to some what I call uh, effective practical application of this. Um, but we're instructed to put on the armor of God that we may be able to stand against <clears throat> the wilds of the devil. I tell you what, thank you, Holy Spirit. Before I do that, let's, before I do that, let's, let's go back up here. Because um, <clears throat> uh, Rick Renner, many of you know, he's one of my favorite Bible teachers. All, all his stuff's online, man. You can get a devotion a video sent to your email inbox from Rick Renner every day of the week, and, and I would highly recommend that. Um, and he was unable to come in person to the conference because of COVID restric- restrictions in Moscow. And uh, he's, his wife and family, they all pastor in, uh, in Russia. Um, and he began with Ephesians 6. Um, and he spent a great deal of time on that word finally and what that word means. And it doesn't just mean this is the last thing that we're going to talk about in the book of Ephesians. But here finally means above and more importantly than anything that has been discussed in the whole book of Ephesians up until this point. And, and so there's that word there. When you read that, if you don't understand the original language, and of course, if you know Dr. Rick Renner, you know that he is an expert in the Greek language and really expounds upon it when he, when he teaches and preaches. And so, you know, you just read that word, and there's so many important things in these verses that you tend to skip over that first word that begins this part of the teaching, that word finally. But finally is, again, a very, very strong word in the original language um, to, to uh, emphasize the importance of something and the value of something and the need to treasure and prioritize something. And so when he says, finally, my brethren, and, and you know, in other words, what's coming next... You could even say that all the other things that are addressed in the in the book of Ephesians are leading up to this. Our salvation has put us in a position to be able to do this. Amen. So um, let's go then, verse 11, where he says, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. And we, and we said the wiles were the methods, the schemes, the tactics. And we said that... Those schemes and tactics all, every one of them, involve the enemy trying to get you or me to respond in a wrong way, in an incorrect way. And so when Brother Keith, for example, I mentioned that sermon earlier, um, when he uh, began his sermon, he began in Ephesians 6. Now, he didn't necessarily teach on the armor of God, but he focused on the, the wilds 
um, of the devil and the strategies of the devil and how the devil is seeking whom he may devour. And from there he went into how the enemy tries to um, use uh, our judging other people as, as a weapon against us. And we said this several sermons back, right? That, that judgment and judging someone else is a response. It's when you respond to someone else's actions or someone else who's maybe behaved in an offensive way towards you and you respond by judging them. Do not fall for that trap. The enemy is trying to get you in a position of judgment over other people because how you judge other people is how you will be judged by God. Don't take the bait. Don't fall for the trap. And so when he's saying put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil, the wiles of the devil come in many different shapes, many different forms, many different ways that he comes against us. But every single one of them have one thing in common. It's an effort on his part to get you and me to respond in a negative way, in a a damaging way, in a way that will put us in a perilous position. So we said that you'll never have victory, uh, you'll never experience and enjoy, rather, victory in life until you learn how to overcome the wiles of the devil. So we put on the whole armor of God so that we can effectively overcome not just the devil. You, you defeat the devil by defeating his strategies. You defeat the devil by defeating his wiles. If you were to take the devil's ability to deceive away from him, he would basically, you know, be neutralized. Uh, the only way he's able... Uh, to, to get anything over on, on especially a child of God is uh, through uh, deception and these kinds of underhanded uh, tactics. Okay, Now, we said that the question is uh, not whether or not blows are coming your way. The question is whether or not you'll be wearing armor when they come. And I know that, amen, I've got good news for you and, and I love to... You know, because I believe if you're going to be a gospel preacher, gospel means good news and, and faith and, and all of these other things. Um, and, and so this is not one of my favorite subjects, I guess, uh, to talk about. But Jesus clearly told us that in this world we would face tribulation. We would, all these different uh, demonic forces that are ruling over this world, um, we are engaged in battle with them. We said last week that you woke up on a battlefield this morning, whether you understand that or not. And it's, it's not a matter of, of, of whether or not the enemy is, is going to shoot an arrow at you. He is going to shoot arrows at you. The question is whether or not you're going to have on armor to absorb those blows, to quench those arrows when they come. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. And again, I'm, this isn't let's all feel sorry for ourselves. This isn't about let's, let's all you know, get into a place of self-pity this morning. But the reality of it is this. There's not a person in this room that hasn't experienced blows from the enemy. There's not a person in this room that hasn't dealt with some kind of challenge, some kind of difficulty, some, some kind of painful situation in your family, in your health, in, in, in your career. We could go on and on with this, all right? So I'm not here to give the devil credit, but I am here to serve him notice and to give you warning. Amen. That we're not ignorant of his devices. We understand the strategies that he uses against us. We understand that, that we 
wrestle and struggle and battle, uh, but not against flesh and blood. We understand that, that blows are going to be directed towards us, that arrows are going to be aimed at us. Amen. And, and so this is why uh, the armor has been made available to us, and this is why we are instructed to put it on, take it up, put it on, and wear it. If the whole armor of God was not necessary, God would have never, our Father would have never told us to put it on. So this keeps bringing us back to, and I wanted to get here early in the message because I want to focus on this the rest of our time together. How do we practically and effectively put on the whole armor of God? How do we practically and effectively put on the whole armor of God? Now, when I was very young, I heard someone teaching on, on this. And one of the things that, that they uh, encouraged us to do was in the morning when we wake up, um, to, to literally act as if we're putting on a helmet. You know, to literally act as if we're, we're you know, you know, putting on a, a breastplate and we're and you know our feet are shot in other words to to act it out as if we're putting those things on um, listen to me please if, if you do that um, then you know more power to you uh, I'm not saying that it's wrong to do that but putting on the whole armor of God involves much more than just acting like you're putting on a helmet so if that's all that you're doing, okay, um, I would say you're probably coming up short and maybe even deceiving yourself, okay? So if going through those motions helps you visualize, helps you uh, get in faith about it, helps you connect with it in your heart internally with the Word of God, then by all means doing do it. But if you're just going through the motions, acting like you're putting on something without any consideration of, of what it is and what it means and what the Word of God says about it, then um, you, you may be, uh, you know, in a, in a, in a position where, you know, you think you've done something that you really haven't done, okay? Now, when it comes to putting on the whole armor of God, um, one of the rules of Scripture study, okay, if, if you want to if, if you want to be serious about studying the Word of God, and, and, and um, we talk a lot about these things in, in discipleship class, I'm not going to try to teach on that this morning, but one of the very important rules when it comes to studying the Scripture is this one. Are you ready? Let Scripture interpret Scripture. Let the Bible interpret itself. Now, what do we mean by that? Well, if you're studying in one place and something doesn't seem to be clear or, or maybe, you know, you realize that like this, it's very important obviously, to put on the whole armor of God, um, rather than coming up with your own ideas about what that means, let the Bible tell you what it means by looking for other places in the Bible that the same things are referred to or talked about. That's what we mean by letting Scripture interpret Scripture. Let the Bible interpret itself. A classic example of this would be when uh, Abel's offering in the book of Genesis was accepted and Cain's offering was rejected. 
And if you just look at that at face value, you know that Abel offered uh, an animal, a, a, a sacrifice of an animal to God, and Cain brought in fruits and vegetables. And so I've heard many people over the years say that Cain's offering was rejected because it was not a blood sacrifice. It was not a blood offering. And everyone who's ever said that would be wrong because that's not what the Bible teaches us. We see as we read throughout uh, the Old Testament that, that many people, God even asked for different grain offerings and fruit offerings and first fruits. It's when you get over into the book of Hebrews in the New Testament, you find out why Cain's uh, offering was rejected. It's because it was not an offering of excellence. He did not bring God of his very best. He, he brought him uh, all the fruits and vegetables that everybody else had passed over at the fruit and vegetable stand. I'm just being silly here. The, the, the three-day-old stuff that was shriveled up and nobody wanted to eat. He wanted to give God that. That's why it wasn't accepted. So I'm just showing you an example of what we mean by let the Scriptures interpret the Scriptures rather than you reading something that you're not sure about and you coming up with some kind of, you know, let's just stand in front of the mirror and act like we're putting a helmet on. Okay? You with me? All right. So if you look at the, the Word of God, you see that that put on, that those two words translated into our English, put on, we see them in many different places uh, in, the, in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Um, for example, we're told to put on the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Um, just if, if you're an individual who uh, battles uh, you know, depression at times in your life, well, here's a really, really good way to be victorious over depression. Put on the garments of praise. Amen. It's very hard to be thankful and depressed at the same time. Okay? It's very hard to remain depressed while doing something for somebody else. Okay? So there's things that the Bible instructs us uh, that, that we can do. So put on the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. We see where the Bible tells us to put on mercy to put on humility, to put on love, to even put on Christ. Wow. Now, there's one place, though, that I believe is the go-to place for all things put on in the Scripture. And the reason I say that, it's because we have more explained to us in, in this passage about putting on spiritual things than any other place that it's mentioned uh, in, in the Bible. And so turn with me to that passage. It's Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians uh, chapter 4, and we'll begin at verse number 20. Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 20. Now, as you're turning there, obviously Ephesians 4 comes before Ephesians 6. So this, I think, adds even more credibility. But although this passage doesn't specifically... Uh, you know, mention the idea of putting on the whole armor of God, what we learn in this passage about putting on something spiritual, I believe uh, applies to every other place the Bible tells us to either put on humility, put on Christ, put on love, put on the garment of praise, put on uh, the armor of God. Now, in this particular passage, again, we have more... Uh, information, we have more insight 
more revelation into this idea of putting on than any other place in the Bible. So we're going to let the Scriptures, again, uh, interpret the Scriptures. So Ephesians uh, chapter 4, let's begin at verse number 20. He says, But you have not so learned Christ. But you have not so learned Christ. So look at me for just a moment. Obviously, uh, we jumped into the middle of a thought um, because, you know, you don't just begin a whole message with the word but, right? So when he says, but you have not so learned Christ, he's obviously wanting to connect what's coming to what was before this in the Scripture. So I'm going to ask you to please not try to hear both things at one time. We're going to come back to what's above this in just a moment. I felt led of the Holy Spirit to, to, to present it this morning in this way, all right? So let's begin, though, at verse number 20. But you have not so learned Christ. Okay, look at me again. This word learned is the word manthano. And if you've been around heritage in the Greek language, the transliteration is the word manthano. And if you've been around heritage very long, um, you know that, that there's manthano rooms, there's manthano classes. And we, we use that word around here. Uh, it's kind of part of our culture. And this word manthano is the word that best captures the concept of discipleship. As a matter of fact, in the original language, the Greek language, um, the word for disciple is gender specific. So a female disciple would be in the Greek language a methetria, and a male disciple would be a methetes or a methetes. Okay, I don't exactly know how you say that, right? With the root word, right, uh, you know, all being, uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? All a part of this family of words. Uh, derivative, thank you, Holy Spirit, uh, of this word manthano. And manthano means to put forth an intense effort to learn by experience. An intense effort to learn by experience so that the one being taught will have him who teaches assimilated into himself or herself. So Jesus didn't just teach us information. A, A true disciple is someone who wants to hear the word of God put the Word of God into practice so that Jesus Himself can, can, can be assimilated into you. In other words, where you are becoming more and more like Him in your daily walk, daily life, daily practice um, as you grow up into Him in all things. So He says, you have not so learned, you have not so manthanoed Christ, if indeed you have heard Him and have been taught by Him as the truth is in Jesus. Look at me again here. Praise God. So I just want to try to lay some groundwork with, with these original verses. There are a lot of people in our day, as there were a lot of people um, in uh, Paul's day, uh, that have heard the gospel, have heard the message of Jesus' sinless birth. I'm, I'm sorry, his virgin birth, his sinless life. Um, his death on the cross, his burial, his resurrection, and his, and his ascension. In other words, they have heard the gospel, and they have responded to the gospel, and they have been born again. Lots of people who've heard that message, who've received salvation, that don't even know what a parable is. They, they don't, are you following what I'm saying? They, 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 they have no idea about the first miracle at the wedding feast in Cana. Now, that doesn't mean these people aren't born again. It just means that they have not heard Jesus and they have not been taught by Him as the truth is in Jesus. They're they're like spiritual babies. 
that need to be fed, first of all, the sincere milk of the Word, and then as they grow by the sincere milk of the Word, then someone to feed them uh, the meat of the Word so that they can grow up into Jesus in all things. So this is not the Holy Spirit through Paul taking a shot at people. He's just saying, hey, you know, maybe you've heard this, maybe you haven't, but for the record, the truth is in Jesus. If you want to know the truth about anything, you can find it in the life of Jesus. If you want to know the truth about sickness, if you want to know the truth about you know, who Father God really is, who He really is, if you want to know the truth about your... I mean, we could just go on and on with this, right? Um, don't accept outside opinions. If, you, if you're curious about the way something is or the way it's supposed to be, the truth can be found in Jesus, right? Now... Verse 22, that you put off, comma, and I'm emphasizing the, the punctuation here, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. That you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. Verse 23, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. But if you'll notice, 23 begins with a lowercase a and ends in a comma. So this is broken up into into bite-sized verses. But what we really have here is one thought that continues all the way through. Verse 24, "And and that you put on the new man which was created according to God, in which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Now... What we have here is not just instructions uh, or commands for us to put something on, but here we're also told that we need to put something off so that we can put something on. He says, put off the old man. I'm leaving out some of the statements that's contained within the commas, okay? But to sum it up, he's saying to us, to the Ephesians, to me and you this morning, to put off the old man and put on the new man. Put off the old man, put on the new man. Now, I want you to follow me very closely here because the book of Ephesians is written to the church at Ephesus and ultimately to the church at large. And so, by virtue of it being written to the church... This was written to men and women who have already received salvation. It was written to and is written to men and women who have already been born again. So he's saying to men and women who have been born again that they need to put off the old man and they need to put on the new man. Put off the old, put on the new. Now... It's interesting though, stay with me now please, it's interesting to note, I think if we're going to really get the revelation here that we need, it's, it's not only interesting to note, it's interesting to embrace that because these men and women have already been born again, their old man has already died with Christ and they have already become a new man in Christ Jesus. In other words, the old died with Jesus and the new was raised up together with him. Amen. Are you following me? Now, I'm not trying to confuse you. You say, well, how, how can it be both ways? Well, that's the answer that we need 
um, not just where this subject is concerned, but this is the answer that we need so that we can use it as a template to better understand how it is we put on the whole armor of God. In other words, we're teaching on one thing so that we can better understand how to do another thing. All right? Now, the same then is true for you if you've received salvation and been born again. In other words, they were new men. And their old man had already died with Christ. And this had become an eternal reality for them. And yet we find these instructions. Now let me just real quick put, and and we could spend the rest of January and February just on this one topic right here. But I'm going to give you two, yeah, just a couple, two key verses 2 Corinthians 5 and 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are just beneath the surface. Is that what it says? No, it says old things have passed away. Behold, most things have become new. Some things have become new. A few things have become new. No, he says all things have become new. If we were to keep reading, it says, now all things are of God. Okay? Now, is this the Bible? So how did this new creation come into being? How did this new creature come into existence? This new creature was born into existence. In other words, this is what it means to be born again. You must be born a second time. It's what Jesus told us when he had the conversation with Nicodemus. Amen. Now, let's not make the mistake that Nicodemus made and a whole lot of people continue to make to this day. The part of you that was born again, if you have been, the part of you that will be born again if you've not yet received salvation, amen, is the part the Bible calls your spirit. And your spirit is the real you. It's the deepest part of you. You are a spirit. You possess a soul, Your soul is the part of you that thinks and feels and chooses. And all of that is like a hand in a glove that we call the human body. You are a spirit, you possess a soul, and you live inside of a physical body. So it was not your physical body that was born again. It was not your soul that was born again. It was your spirit that was born again. Nicodemus said, how can a man when he's full grown go back into his mother's womb and be born a second time? Jesus said, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, Nicodemus, but that which is born of the spirit is spirit. If you're going to enter into the kingdom of God, you must be born of water or born physically, and you must be born of the spirit. You must be born again spiritually. So it's your spirit that becomes completely new. The old man is referring to your spirit that that was in you before you were born again. And Romans 6 clearly states, Galatians clearly explains to us that your old man was crucified with Christ, your old man was buried with Christ, and the old you was left in an unmarked grave, and the day you were born again, you came up out of the grave with Jesus to newness of life. You became a new creation in every way. 
This is what he's talking about in Ephesians when he says, put on the new man which was created. Not which will be created. He says the new man that you've become was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Now, I know I'm going kind of fast here because I've got a little more ground to cover. Are you still with me, though? This is really, 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 really important. Because we talk about this inward reality of the new birth, but we've also said that discipleship is the process by which the inward reality of the new birth becomes an outward expression of life. The person you became the day you became a new creation in Christ Jesus You discovering what's true about you now, you embracing what's true about you now, your mind being renewed to what's true about you now, and that being reflected in the way you live your life on a daily basis. Now, I I sometimes draw this, I've even been known to get three people up here to act it out. We're not going to take the time to do that this morning, but I'm going to try to do it myself. And Melanie, you might want to go a little wide. I'm going to kind of just hold it in one camera position, all right? But I'm going to step over here. You still got me in the camera? All right. Spirit. I don't know what that was. Other than an emphasis on, emphasis on spirit, right? Spirit, soul, mind, will, and emotions, body, outward man, okay? You got it? All right. So was this part born again? Come on, was this part born again? No. Was this part born again? No. Was this part born again? Yes. This is the part. Your spirit became a new creation in Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen. I don't, I don't know if that's the, they said the voice of God was, was like a thunder, right? So anyway, praise God. Amen. All right. We're going to get through this. Praise God. All right. We still got a few minutes. Praise God. All right. This is the part of you that became new. This is the part of you that was born of an incorruptible seed. This is the part of you that's living forever. This is the part of you that already has eternal life. This is the part of you that, that knows all things. This is the part of you the Bible says cannot sin. Amen. I turn my mic back on. Is it? Is, should I leave my mic on so you can correct it, or am I? Okay. Am I inter- intercepting you every time you try to fix a problem? I remove the problem from the board. All right. Amen. I'm back up here. Right. This is the part of you that the Bible says cannot sin. Isn't that amazing? John says. In, in the first part of 1 John, if you say you have no sin, you're a liar and the truth's not in you. Then he goes on to say that because God's seed abides in you as a born-again believer, that you cannot sin. You'll never understand this unless you understand you're a three-dimensional being. Let me step over here. This is body, right? If I say in my flesh I have no sin, I'm, I'm not telling the truth. If I'm saying I never commit a sin or make a mistake or say something I shouldn't say or do something I shouldn't do in my flesh, I'm, the, I'm, I'm a liar and the truth's not in me. And, and you would know that because of your own life, right? Okay. So this is the part that, that if I say I have no sin, and this is the part where if I confess my sin, he's faithful and just to forgive me of my sin and cleanse me of all unrighteousness. But the part of me that the devil can't touch, the part of me that the devil can't do anything about, 
The part of me that the devil cannot change or alter, right, even if he entices me to sin in my flesh, is my born-again spirit. This is why the Apostle Paul says... Amen. Amen. I'll keep going. Should I grab my uh, the handheld? Praise God. I heard a man talking the other day. He he uh, had a flat tire and was late for a meeting to preach. This was not the minister's conference, but and the lady said that that demon flattened his tire. And he's like, mm, man, I'm glad he didn't do nothing with my transmission. You know what I'm saying? So anyway, sometimes we give the devil credit for things that the devil don't have nothing to do with, right? <laughs> amen. Praise God. But sometimes, amen. And I've noticed here of late, when we really get to an important part, it's like something crazy like this happens, right? The other uh, Wednesday before last in discipleship class, man, we were like hard and heavy into it. And it's like the camera just goes blank. And I was like, what in the world? You know, so anyway, praise God. So this is the part of you that the devil can't touch. This is the part of you the devil can't change. It's, it's who you are in Christ Jesus. This is the part of you that knows all things. This is the part of you that, ha- that possesses all things. This is the part of you that can lay hands on anybody that's sick and, and they recover, right? Now, I'm going to step right here because this is your soul. Your soul is like a valve. Do you understand a valve, right? Washing a car yesterday. You, you turn the valve on and the water flows through. You turn the valve off and the valve stops the water. Your soul is like a valve, okay? It's the part of you that thinks, it's the part of you that feels, it's the part of you that chooses, okay? You with me? Now, when I say a valve, let me give you a verse. Beloved, I wish above all things, I'm going to step over here, (laughs) that you prosper and be in health. Amen? Watch this now. Even as your soul prospers. But in a three-dimensional being, where is the true prosperity? It's right here. Are you seeing this? The true prosperity is, is the spirit that's become one with God. The true prosperity and the, and the healing and the health and the, and the, and the sound-mindedness and, 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 and no fear and all these other things, it's right here in the spirit. So many times, though, the valve of our soul doesn't allow what's in our spirit to flow through into our life reality. Amen or me? Are you seeing this? All right. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So he's talking to people who have already become a new man. He didn't tell them, become a new man. He said, put on the new man. So it's one thing to become a new man. It's another thing to put on a new man. Are you seeing this? Do you see, now we said this last week about the armor of God, and maybe the week before that. It's one thing to be given the armor of God, it's another thing to put on the armor of God. It's very, you know, it's not just possible, it's, it's unfortunately common for people to have been given something in the Spirit that they never connect with and experience in their life reality. Why? Well, let's go back to that important valve, Okay. Let me use righteousness. Righteousness is, is, a, is a huge, important thing. Let's step back over here. Your born-again spirit wasn't given righteousness. It was made righteous. 
recreated in Christ Jesus, you have been made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Your born-again spirit is just as right before God in the eyes of God as Jesus himself. So let it be said, so let it be written. Amen. All right. Just as right as Jesus himself, okay? But now remember, you're a three-dimensional being. If you're ever going to watch me now, one, two, we're in the position of the body. Now, if you're ever going to live right, if you're ever going to, what did he say in Ephesians 4 concerning your former conduct? Okay? If you're ever going to live as the righteousness you've been made, the valve of your soul is going to have to let that righteousness flow outward into your life. Now, why is that important? Why, what's the point I'm trying to make this morning? How many born-again people still think of themselves as sinners? They don't see themselves as righteous. They don't see themselves as pure and holy before God. They see themselves as, fa- as failures, as losers, uh, self-condemning, low self-esteem, poor self-image. And because of that, it, it reflects and shows up in the way that they live. Are you seeing this? So he's saying to someone who has already been made a new man, put on the new man. And you put on the new man by putting off the old man. Well, this is where it really gets complicated, and I see now that we're going to have to finish this next week. But let's go, before we're done, I'll put it on the screen before we're done. Colossians 3.3, what does it say? For you died. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. I know it's controversial. I get people irritated at me so many times when I say this. Do not believe the lie of the devil perpetuated on the body of Christ through religiously minded people that you somehow now have two natures inside of you. You do not have two natures. The nature of a thing is the essence of what that thing is. And the essence, the Bible says, of you and me before we were born again was darkness. You were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. You do not have two natures. There's no such thing as two natures. You've either got the nature of a sinner or you've got the nature of a saint. And the only way to go from sinner to saint is to be born a second time and and be recreated in Christ Jesus, a saint. The righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Religion loves to say we're just sinners saved by grace. There's no such thing. You were a sinner if you've been saved by grace. You are not a sinner any longer. You've been made the righteous of God in Christ Jesus. Your born again spirit is not a sinner. This is the essence of who you are. I'm just going with it, man. I'm enjoying it actually now. I'm kind of having fun with it now, Marcos. No, I'm kidding. They've got headphones on back there. They're probably not having fun with it. The the exclamation point, right? So Jake and Bethany have this little remote control to turn the Christmas tree on and off during Christmas. And Oliver would point to the tree and go, Bionk! Whatever Bionk means. And when they would do that, Jake would turn it on. And he, so, amen. So, I won't do it, Marcos. I'll just, amen. Every time I step over there, it is an exclamation point for us. And I believe one that's needed. 
in the body of Christ. Absolutely, my brother. Absolutely. But notice now, he's saying to people who have already died, not die to self, not die. He's saying, put off the old man. Put him off. Put on the new man. How do you put... By the way, you can't put on the new until you put off the old. And notice, sinner saved by grace, that statement basically is telling people to try to wear both men at the same time. It won't work. It just leads to frustration and confusion and, 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 and condemnation where people condemn themselves. How, how do you practically and effectively do this? And be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Singers, musicians, would you please come? Praise God. This is probably the longest I've ever preached on a Sunday morning. I was just kidding around about three hours, but amen. Are you getting anything out of this? Thank you, Jesus. So we mentioned Ephesians 4 and 17. As they're coming, I'm going to put two verses on the screen, Ephesians 4, 17 and 18. We will definitely be back here next Sunday, but let me just set the stage for you. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk, In the futility of their mind, let me give you a pop quiz. The mind, is it part of the spirit? Is it part of the soul? Or is it part of the the dimension of the flesh? Soul. The soul is the mind, the emotions, and the will. So he's saying to born-again believers that they should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk. Gentiles here obviously is speaking of any nationality other than Jewish, but biblically, especially New Testament biblically, he's referring to people who do not have a covenant with God, people who are on the outside looking in. And that's what he confirms in verse 18, having their understanding darkened, understanding being part of the mind having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart. This is when he goes on to say, you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you can stand with me, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him. What is he talking about here? He's talking about born-again people who are living like people who have not been born again. He's talking about born-again people who have the life of God, the Zoe life and nature of God on the inside of them. That's what that life of God means there in verse 18. But notice that word alienated. To be alienated from something means to be separated from it. He says they're insiders living like outsiders. They're people who have God in them, but they're living like people who don't know God. Not because they're not saved, but because why? Their understanding's darkened. They're they're being alienated from the life of God, not because the power of, of, of the blood of Jesus wasn't enough to save them, but because of the ignorance that is in them. They don't know. 
they're thinking of themselves in one light. They're seeing themselves one way when Father God sees them an entirely different way. So he continues on and he says, you've got to put off the old and put on the new by being renewed in the spirit of your mind. So if being renewed in the spirit of your mind is how you put off the old man and put on the new man, being renewed in the spirit of your mind is also how you put on the whole armor of God. All right, we'll put a fork in it right there. Father, thank you this morning for the things that you are speaking to us and speaking to the body of Christ. Thank you, Father, for every person who's hearing and worshiping together with us and hearing this message live and those that will hear it in the days and weeks, maybe even years ahead, Father, uh, through the Internet. I pray, Father, that your words would, would well up strong inside of us and, and the revelation and the revealing of who we are and who we became the day we became that new creation, Father will begin to come to the forefront of our hearts and minds and we'll begin to receive it and embrace it by faith. And I thank you, Father, that no weapon formed against my brothers and sisters will prosper. And I thank you, Father, for divine health, divine healing, divine prosperity, and divine recovery for everyone under the sound of my voice right now. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. John Mark's going to...